As we ring in the new year, we're often symbolically determined to make a fresh start. It's this time of year, every year, that I assure myself I'm going to stick to couch to 5k and I promise to look after my liver just a little better. Invariably, all of this is nothing but a laughable memory come February. For thousands of students, this is also the time of year where there's renewed vigour, if not enthusiasm, to revise and a correlated number of parents who are promising to make sure that they do. But you can't expect to make a change by doing the same things, so what is it that's going to make this year's study resolutions stick? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, of course, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and tribulations in the run-up to the exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from students who are overzealous and anxious to those who are underperforming yet nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take comfort that you're not alone. And perhaps, more importantly, I hope that you'll take away some insights and advice that will help you to support your own team so that they'll not just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking with Lee Elliott Major. Lee is a Professor of Social Mobility at the University of Exeter. He's the former chief executive of the Sutton Trust and a former education journalist for The Guardian and The Times Higher Education Supplement. He's written several award-winning books about education and social mobility, including the recently published and hugely compelling, I have to say, The Good Parent Educator, something I completely and wholeheartedly recommend. Lee is also the dad to two teens, one who's studying an art foundation course and the other at college just starting out with her A-levels. Lee, thanks so much for joining me and, of course, a Happy New Year. Do you go in for the habit of making New Year's resolutions? I have tried in the past on New Year's resolutions and I, of course, being a professor, read up on all the evidence and research papers on sticking to things. So, so no, I'm very interested. I've even been trying to diet post sort of pandemic, although we really are still in the pandemic, aren't we? And so, yeah, no, I'm fascinated by how you stick at things because in education... We have lots of interesting ideas about, you know, how to improve outcomes for schools and for pupils. But often the hardest thing is to stick at them, is to do those things for lots of schools and lots of pupils. So it's not easy. So don't feel too hard if you don't stick to those things. What I would, my advice would be is to pick sort of realistic goals, you know, something that's stretching, but not often I find that we, we tend to go for incredibly ambitious goals that are unrealistic. So one thing is to think about something realistic and try and do something every day. A little, a lot is one of the things that comes out in the book, actually, you know, in education as, as and any, any part of life is, if you can do a little, a lot of the time, that is better than trying to do it all at the last minute. So no, fascinating about resolutions and sticking at things. But not for you. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned the book. In the book, there are a number of references to quality over quantity, effort over the amount of time spent and so on. So I wonder 
whether there were some sort of common or major areas where you see that as parents we could be more effective when it comes to our children studying? So I think one of the dilemmas as parents in, in, a, in a sort of increasingly busy world, it seems, is, you know, how much support should you give your children? Because I think we're, we're all conscious of what I call the sort of escalating arms race of education, you know, getting those grades to get into college or in these days an apprenticeship even or whatever, you know, what, what, whatever the, the outcomes are that you're looking for. It seems, doesn't it, really competitive these days. And, and there is some evidence to back that up, by the way. A lot of my research suggests that we are sort of living in a more competitive era. So I think, you know, parents, we're all aware of that. And the question really, the dilemma, I think, is how much support you give your young children and how much independence you're wanting them to have. So I think one of the secrets of education that all good teachers do is, I would call it facilitating sort of learning. So they somehow find a way of getting that young person to sort of learn for themselves. You know, that's the trick of education. It's not this idea of someone in a class sort of, you know, presenting sort of pearls of wisdom from the front and everyone else sort of, all, all the pupils sort of sort of taking that in. It's more about energising pupils to get interested for themselves. And I think as parents not being professional teachers, I think it's quite hard to get that balance right. So I see both over exertion in terms of support, which makes the children less independent, less able to sort of, you know, get on in the world. And at the same time, I think I always also observe, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was parents just don't know where to start. They don't know where the best help should be. And as you say, one of the central messages of the book is really focus on quality things that you could do with your children. We might get into that. And rather than just spending hours and hours trying to do things that probably aren't going to be that beneficial. But we can get into some of the details of that. But I I think, you know, I hope I've given some sort of tips on how to do that. Absolutely. And I think what really struck me with the book is how relatable it is, because you do talk from your own experiences, don't you, going through it with your own two teens? Yeah. And I've, you know, had experiences with both my teens. One of them is more academic my daughter and you know she just needs a little nudge here and there and then she's off revising doing it on her own my son jack was different you know he was diagnosed with adhd quite early on and found it quite hard to motivate himself to do schoolwork he's just as clever if you like as maddie but clever in different ways and i think the school system has a very narrow way of measuring our young people so it tends to be you know can you memorize things in a test at the end of the year my son just happens to be more creative you know he's now doing an art foundation year very successful in that but you know the academic system just just didn't suit him so I found there that I was struggling a bit more as a parent so you know trying to sit down trying to motivate Jack to do homework to you know to do the work that was needed and it's tough you know if you've got a boy or a girl who who doesn't fit this very narrow system I think it's tough actually and and so you have to sort of find ways of motivating them and one of the things that we know from education studies is it's all about self-esteem you know and so if you can find some ways to make them feel that they are good at some things and they will be by the way 
then I think that's one of the secrets, again, of education. The only thing I would say to that is you have to be careful because what we know is that if you overpraise your children, and I certainly have a tendency to do this, that's probably not good for them. You know, if you're just telling them that they're a great boy or girl all the time, what happens is they devalue that advice, that commentary. It doesn't really mean much if you're saying it all the time. And it also doesn't contain much information of enabling to do better. What great teachers do is they say, look, you've done well here, but you could do even better if you did did X, Y, and Z. The reason we do this, I think, it comes back to our own selves. I think we're, we're, we're sort of implicitly praising ourselves if we praise our children. You know, what, what a great parent I am for bringing up these beautiful young children. So I think you just have to watch your own self in that sense. Yeah, this is about them. It's not about you. That's one of the messages in my book. I mean, you can see that, can't you, with a lot, probably and happily very guilty of it myself, I'm sure, of sort of projecting. I know that what makes me happy. And so I then imagine that this will make my children happy as well. And as you say, sort of then links into that whole self-esteem piece that you want them to feel good about themselves. And so really interesting to think that you could go wrong by trying too hard, I guess, to make them feel pumped up about themselves and, and sort of raring to go. I think the other thing is to know what you can and can't do as a parent. So, you know, for example, I found, even as a professor, I found that some of the content in GCSEs is very sophisticated. I had to look things up all the time if I was trying to help them, if they were asking me these really hard questions. I think it's probably better as a parent to teach them or to help them in terms of planning, reviewing and, well, I call it planning, doing and reviewing really. So it's it's sort of, my son Jack had this tendency to, because he thought he wanted to do the essay very quickly, he would just start scrawling some words down really quickly. And I said, look, Jack, just hold on. Before you start, what are you trying to say with this essay? What is the plan? Just Just give me, you know, an idea of what each paragraph's going to going to contain. And he said, Dad, no, but I just want to get on with it. I want to get on with it. And I said, look, you won't do it as quickly if you don't plan to begin with. And that took, to be honest, it took months. It took years to get him to see this. And we know from the research evidence that this is true, you know, that you will do much better if you plan out roughly what you're going to say. Then you do it and then you review it afterwards. So teachers call some of this, it's a very big word, it's called metacognition. It's really thinking about thinking. I think parents can help with that sort of structure. It's better to think about that rather than trying to second guess the actual content, I think. You know, hopefully the book does sort of spell out some of these things clearly, because I think we're all a bit lost at sea on this. And, And what's happened over the last decade is that teaching and I've been part of this, teaching has become more of a profession. It's got its own jargon associated with being a profession. And so when you hear two teachers talk now, and someone like me give a presentation to trainee teachers, honestly, it could be completely baffling to most parents. You know, we've got all these big words we use now for education, and that's just part of the growing up of the profession. And I think it's great that we are like doctors and lawyers, we, you know, I think teachers are a profession. The problem is, I think for parents, it's actually increasingly hard to know and to understand what teachers are talking about. And I think you can see that. And I think a lot of parents will bear that out, that there's a huge disparity between 
chatting with one teacher in a parents' evening about how little Johnny's getting on and another, and sort of the quality of the feedback that they get. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of the time you'll hear that there's this sort of triangle of a relationship between student, parent and teacher all sort of working together. I'd like to go back actually to the planning, doing and reviewing which you talk about in the book. What I really love about that is that actually it's not content specific. So you don't need to know the nature of whatever essay is going on in geography or in English to be able to help your child sort of come back to that basic premise of planning and then getting on with it and then thinking about it. Do you think it's those simple terms that are really going to, I suppose, help parents to help their children? I think you can help, but it has to be in those more sort of generic ways that could apply to geography, English or whatever, whatever subject. I think particularly when they get to GCSE stage, what the research shows, of course, is that often, particularly at primary school stage, parents will cheat. You know, they will do the homework or they will help their children so much. And we're all guilty of this, by the way, because, you know, I, I remember Sunday night at our school, at primary school, had a sort of book pay. You, know, you had to sort of write in how often they were reading books. And we would get to Sunday night. It would have been a busy week and a long weekend and then realise that there were, you know, very few entries in our book reading pamphlet and then I'd sort of sit down with Jack or Maddie and I was like right, we better fill in all these boxes before Monday morning so I was guilty of it as well and the problem with that is that you're doing it for the wrong reasons in the way you're doing it so the head teacher doesn't give you a dirty look when you drop off the kids at school it's not really helping with your children's learning to be honest with you and so I think as parents we struggle with that you know why are we doing all this is it to look good in front of all the other teachers and, and parents by the other way the other thing I say in the book and I know how hard this is with young people with all the social media but you have got to try to get them to think more in terms of personal best it's, it's a bit I, I do a whole chapter on learning from sports people you know and one of the things that they're really good at these good sports people is thinking about their own personal best rather than worrying about you know the other competitors what happens in classrooms is we're immediately as young humans comparing ourselves to other people where do we come in the class am i better than so and so who got the worst actually what the studies suggest is that that's damaging in many ways you need to think about your own personal best i think it's very difficult and i think social media has contributed to again more of this sort of comparisons but so as a parent, again, I think that you can help on that front. One of the things that I've realised, having visited schools and parents over the years, is that often children do the wrong revision techniques as well. And often you'll see loads of sort of that bright colours on pads where people have been highlighting text and rereading text and all, all that stuff. It's a very common revision sort of approach the studies suggest that it doesn't really help that much, to be honest with you. And what it really comes down to is you've got to test yourself, essentially, is the golden rule for revision. So that means, yes, of course, reading over material, but then either getting your mum or dad or a friend to ask you questions about that material or to even do your own little tests, anything, a multiple, multiple choice test. I mean, you, you know, schools often provide those flashcards, which can be helpful where, you know, you have a question and then you have the answer on the back. Anything that gets the brain making that little leap will contribute to 
that learning. There's, there's a sort of famous quote in the education research literature, which is, you know, every time that you give the answer away to your son or daughter is a moment of learning lost, you know, because the brain hasn't had to make that leap. One of the things that, again, you just have to be aware of as a parent is that that leap of learning, if you like, has to be big enough to stretch that mind, but not too big that it's almost impossible to reach. And, and that, again, is, there's lots of technical terms used for that. But essentially, you're trying to get it in the sweet spot of stretching, but not stretching too much. And I think as a parent, if you have the time, you can make it quite fun. I mean, I, I used to, I can't remember if I mentioned it in the book now, but with Maddie, when she was learning her times tables... This was obviously when she was a bit younger. I used to take her up to her bedroom and she used to sort of jump up and down on the bed. It's a bit like a trampoline. I think the bed didn't last long actually with this exercise. But you know, I used to do the sums with her as she was jumping up and down. That was partly a bit of fun. It was partly because I knew that jumping up and down sort of focuses the mind a bit actually. So you've got to try and make it fun. But yeah, so there's, there's lots of these things that I've realised that as parents we probably don't know what the best way of doing things are. No one's ever told us, you know, no one ever told us at school. I think that by and large, the parents are in that camp, aren't they? Have, have actually, we've all got busy lives, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're supporting our children in the best possible way. So finding out those tips, like focusing on personal bests, I think that that is something that just is maybe a shift in our mindset away from where did you come in the class or you got a seven, who got an eight, and actually making it and focusing it about them. But then, as you said, actually, I think that personal best element, while I think we could probably all agree with it, out of hand, I mean, it just makes absolute sense, is difficult because the whole system, of course, is geared against it. I mean, the whole numbering system is about where you fall in that ranking order, which, as you say, exacerbated by social media, makes it much more difficult, I think, for kids to sort of focus on what they're capable of and what their own best is. It is. I think the system needs reforming. I think that's going to take time, you know, and I'm, I'm engaged with government on these sorts of issues. But, you know, I do a whole chapter on arts and sports. I think we should value those as much as the grades that we get in those academic subjects. You know, human beings have all sorts of talents. And these talents, by the way, are incredibly useful after school in life. It, you know, life as everyone will know, it's as much about how you get on with other people, how you communicate, how you work in teams, all these things that both art, music and sport can teach you, as well as leadership as well, alongside, of course, analytical skills and all those, those sort of things that we learn in school. The problem is the system at the moment, the school system really rewards those more analytical sort of skills, which are manifested in those, those school grades. I think you really have to just fight against that as a parent. And I think also within that, though, there's a lot of bravery, I think, from the young people to sort of explore what those talents are, because they'd need to probably pick through some talents that they're not going to be any good at, that, that aren't for them for one reason or another. As a child, my sense of balance would never see me be a skateboarder. It's just not it's not the kind of thing that I'd need to do. But in order to know that, I would have had to have given it a go. And I think that's really also where, as parents, we come into our role, isn't it? By giving them this sort of safe, secure environment where they can try out new stuff without fear of mockery and criticism and, and sort of that, a safe space, really. And actually, that's really the role that we can that we can provide for our 
kids is to sort of help them nurture those other talents and find those other things that they're good at to bolster their self-esteem and their confidence being cautious obviously of not overpraising. Yeah, it's getting the balance right and I don't think it's easy. It's not easy. We we're, we're all stressed in our own lives, aren't we, trying to do the best we can and no one sits down with us when our children are born and says, "Okay, this is kind of what's going to happen over the next 20, 25 years. Here's some tips." You know, no no one does that because our parents of course muddled their way through usually. So I think, I mean, yeah, it was really interesting. There was a quote, I think I used it from Michelle Obama, and she was just saying how she struggled with parenting. And I, I used that just because, you know, even these sort of lauded people that look perfect, don't they? The way they sort of present themselves. And I think this is a universal thing. And it's getting that balance right between love and support and understanding and also nurturing them so they become ready for them to reveal themselves to the world, you know, to do their thing and one day maybe become parents themselves. And I sort of reviewed the literature on parenting styles. There's a whole bunch of books about, you know, parenting styles. Are you a particular type of parent? And I actually think we're a mix of things usually. You know, sometimes we're more directive, sometimes we're more authoritarian. We're a mix of styles. And what I'm hoping with this book is to say, look, here's some facts and findings from education research that will just help you navigate this part of the relationship with your children and hopefully lead them to become a sort of balanced human being when they go out in the big wide world out there. Less is more is a bit of a cliche that we hear a lot in lots of different contexts. But I thought it was really interesting to hear it in relation to how we support our teens. And that was a lot of the message I thought that was coming through from when Lee was talking. And as Lee said, we know that children who are supported at home have greater prospects of doing well in their education later in life. We know how important these grades can be to our teens, as Lee called it the education arms race. But Lee's caution, I thought which came through quite clear, was not to overdo it. And that becomes our parenting dilemma. How much support is too much? Not only do the majority of us simply not have the time to take on a full-time tutoring role for our kids, but actually what we've heard is it may prove counterproductive in the long run. I really love Lee's planning, doing, reviewing process. I thought, and it keeps it nice and simple, but also it clearly shows for me, the areas that we parents can get involved in, and to be absolutely clear, ours is not the doing. Depending on your child, I suppose you may have more or less involvement in the first and final aspects, and certainly you'd want that involvement to dwindle, if not completely disappear, as they get closer and closer to their A-levels. But there is, for some of us, an almost irresistible pull to get involved in the content aspects, the doing. Now this could stem from the fact that we're so used to simply doing things for our children, including, as Lee talked about, some of that early schoolwork, the learning logs, the reading diaries and so on. But we all know that we can't actually sit these exams for them. So what I think it's also about then is our way of trying to encourage our teens in our own way. Something that will help build up their confidence by hand-holding and sitting alongside them, sometimes literally, to do it. But it's this confidence, I think, that really is where our true role lies. 
And we talked a lot about the importance of self-esteem and self-confidence with Lee. And for me, a lot of that comes from the security of knowing that your family has your back no matter what. But it's also true that encouraging, supporting, and as Lee said, appropriate praise are crucial aspects of this too. So as we start the new year with promises to ourselves to keep our children on the revision straight and narrow, it's important to keep in mind that our true strength then lies in facilitating our children studying. A lasting benefit to these early education years is helping them to become increasingly independent by equipping them with the tools, behaviours and mindset that they can use in the future to really fulfil their own potential. Many thanks to Lee for finding the time to chat with me and to you for listening. If you'd like to be on a future episode and share how things are going, or perhaps you've got something that's playing on your mind that you'd like to talk about, please do drop me an email. The address is hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if as we start 2022 with vigour, you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to fulfil their potential in their revision, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach. And you'll also find a blog packed full of articles, hints and tips. To find out more, make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and it started your new year with a bang. If you did, I wonder if you'd mind leaving us a review and if it's not too much to ask, a five-star rating. It all really does help us to reach other parents who, just like all of us, are looking for ways of making some sense in the run-up to exams. Of course, please don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.